All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition, a quarantined edition of the Corner Store. The Corner Store is open despite no one being able to come in it. Uh, I hope everyone is well and maintaining. I know it's been a trying few weeks and and who knows how much longer we have to go, but uh, it does not stop and certainly the culture does not stop, um, nor do a lot of things. Our lives don't stop and, and the world isn't over. And so, you know, we, we seek community still and we seek platforms to be able to tell our stories and hopefully this is one of those spaces which you find some solace and sanctity in. Uh, so I'm glad that you're here. And of course, I'm glad that our guest is calling in a new format for the Corner Store. We've never done a Google Hangout uh, yes. conversation before. So it's new for all of us. So I appreciate your patience with any technical difficulties. Uh, we don't have the crisp sound we normally get in the WGN radio studio. But uh, we have with us an incredible organizer, someone who cares uh, deeply about people and, and causes in the city and beyond. Uh, from an organization uh, who is also working on many different campaigns. And I'm excited to hop into the conversation today with Alex uh, from Chicago Votes. Welcome to the Corner Store. Thank you for having me in this new edition, Hangouts Meet version. Yes. <laughs> it is, uh, no, it's, it's, it's something, it's something else. Thank you for, for being down to meet in this format. I guess out, out the gate, um, you know, I'm sorry that we cannot, uh, I cannot put in your hands some snacks, but that is against, uh, you know, current social norms right now. We're, we're practicing an appropriate form of social distancing. Um, so my apologies. We got to figure out the way to drop our guests some snacks during the time of social distancing. We Amazon Prime. It. Oh, wait, no, not Amazon. Sorry. No, no, we no. no. <laughs> uh, Go Puff It, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. So um, I hope you're uh, hydrated at the, at the least. Um, but, but thank you for joining us. How, how are you getting by in, in, in these times just over the last few weeks? You know, it's really interesting. I love my apartment and I'm not the kind of person that really goes out a ton anyways. So it's not the biggest amount of changes for me. The biggest thing is just not leaving my house to go to work. But I'm realizing that with organizing, you know, a big part of organizing is emailing and phone calls and people are applying to their emails. So it's really wonderful. Honestly, everybody's at their computer. So communication has been really, really strong throughout the organizing community so far that I've seen, at least specifically with um, criminal legal issues. I mean, people have been on it. So it's been a quick shift in my work. Yeah, well, well, tell us. I mean, I, I mean, we'll hop back too. But, but tell us how is how are organizers, uh, particularly in some of the spaces that you organize, how are people dealing with this moment and shifting into a, a, a virtual space? So, Zoom, man, Zoom must be making Yo, so uh, money. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and like Hangouts, me. I mean, I have. I was on so so many different ways we've been adapting, but I've just been on so many calls within one week with 30 plus organizers and activists that really care about so many different facets of potentially people getting released from prison for COVID-19. And so, I mean, just Zoom calls with hella people on it. I mean, I was just on a Zoom public meeting for 
Parole, Illinois, which I'll talk about later too, um, with 60 people that hopped on it, which was just amazing to be on. It's hard to get that many people in a room, like usually. So (laughs) this was a virtual room. Um, Yeah, I, I am finding that some of the spaces, even culturally, that we've been organizing are more packed than they have been because of the virtual space, you know? Exactly. It's easier to access for people that have access to it. And so it's been, like, for me, for Chicago Votes, every Tuesday from 5 to 7 p.m., we have our phone, like, volunteer phone banks, volunteer tweet banks that people can plug into, and we usually do it at the Chicago Athletic Association. But since that's closed, we've gone to Hangouts Meet, virtual tweet banks, where we are tweeting legislators from our homes. And we had our first one yesterday. And I think like eight or nine people jumped on it. And it was so beautiful. Um, I could place my Spotify in the background. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's been really interesting. I mean, we've taken so many hits. Like I took personally in Chicago Votes, took a lot of you know, I mean, it really hurt me personally to have to shut down Parade to the Polls. Mm. So one of the programs is we parade high school, high schoolers and college students to go vote. And it's really fun. And we take, you know, anywhere between like 20 to 150 students to go vote. And my last two were cut short. <laughs> and I was like, no. And then everything with the election of just like so many people not getting such mixed signals of like go out and vote stay at home nothing's changing so a lot <laughs> right so all right so yeah so there was a lot right there um do you think are is there going to be any movement toward pushing elections back to moving elections to an online space are we going to need to do that do you think or is there is there converse are you all having conversations about that as a possibility as a necessity well, it's too late for Illinois. Right, um, for the primary, yes. And, yeah, and I don't think that it's going to be... I mean, we have no idea. Right. Honest, I have no idea about like where we're going to be in October when early voting would start. Um, I think that other states have started... We've seen other states start to push back or postpone elections or mix stuff up, but I think that... And I think that's the move. Or just send everyone their ballot in the mail that you can and then make certain centers open for people that either need help or if the state has same-day registration that people have access to that still i think you could be creative if you wanted to but people are so like covid19 i don't know what to do right now oh my god (laughs) right well, I, and I, I want to get to kind of what Chicago Votes is and how you came to organizing. But but earlier you brought up uh, something that I think is worth exploring because there is a real threat of this spreading inside of incarcerated populations. And so, you, you know, you mentioned just the other day you were on a call with 60 people who are trying to figure out ways to advocate for people who um, are incarcerated. So, so tell us some of the conditions of what is happening inside and the threat of something like a pandemic to affect that uh, very vulnerable population. Yeah, mass incarceration is already a public health crisis. So if you put a pandemic on top of it, it's just, there's no words. Um, And so 
people really need to be acting quickly and we're seeing some, you know, I don't know, I think it might be like forced mind shifts um, of people that usually fight tooth and nail to keep people in cages that are now like, like, oh shit, we, we have to let these people out. Um, and I think, you know, that's been, it's been really hard because, you know, the community, there's so many organizations, organizations in Chicago and Illinois that do criminal legal, legal work and prisoner rights work that have so many loved ones. And there's so many family members in Chicago that have so many loved ones in our prisons right now. Um, and so we're hearing things from the loved ones in prison that are saying things like there's no soap. There's like hand sanitizer is scarce to none. We haven't been to commissary in weeks. Like people, the person next to me has a fever. The next two people have 107 fever. No one's being tested. Communication is hard. And so there's been, it's, I've been able to see a beautiful gathering and organizing of, activists and advocates saying and working on behalf of our loved ones who are incarcerated. Um, and we've actually, I think we've seen a good amount of movement that we could expect <laughs> like from IDOC, like, you know, the push and asking for hand sanitizer for donations. We usually don't get, you know, IDOC potentially asking advocates and activists to help in these times. Um, and so there's a lot of drives that are, that have been created, you know, to raise money for hand sanitizer, but wait, there's no hand sanitizer left. So working with distilleries who are creating hand sanitizer now to get that <laughs> into the prisons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw, I know Koval liquors and, and a few yeah. other kind of local distilleries are kind of moving toward that, production for good so if you got any friends there that want to you know link and get some hand sanitizer and whatever into these prisons i think that would be super wonderful it's that there's several kind of initiatives that have come out of this another one is for early release um and that is you know chicago community bond fund leading that the asks to release people from the jail and i think that ask is like you should release i mean people shouldn't be there anyways because they're in there because they can't be bond um so first of all but especially now like what's the point you're literally just killing poor people is what is happening and then in our prisons we've been pushing so hard for the early release um, of our loved ones, but specifically of those most high at risk. So over 60 years old and those with compromised immune systems. Um, the governor just the other day in one of his daily briefings, we all decided we were going to flood the comments with incarcerate COVID-19. I'll just flood them. <laughs> and he didn't say anything about it in the daily briefing. But when a reporter asked him, what about IDOC, he gave probably the most politically correct answer he could have given. Um, which was which was what? And IDOC is the Illinois Department of Corrections, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, he said, and I, I think like you should probably go, it's on his Facebook in case I say it wrong. Sure. Um, but it was basically like, 
we are aware of the issue. We're trying people with the flu or other sicknesses. We're trying to like separate them so that they don't also get COVID-19 on top of something else. Right. Um, and then people that, you know, we are trying to, I think he said, reduce the like weight or yeah, reduce the weight on IDOC by paroling people, paroling nonviolent offenders first. It's so politically correct. Basically what he said in actual <laughs> words is we're looking at, releasing people that are nonviolent offenders. Right. Which, which is something that folks have been advocating for and organizing for, for a long time. Yeah. But now it's like, because they might. (laughs) Right. And so this is definitely an unprecedented time that we can see an early release like this. And the biggest thing that the biggest obstacle that activists have come together around is, um, housing you know that's the biggest worry is like if you do a mass release of people you know people who do this work normally know that a lot of those people have somewhere to go and they have a house to go back to that you've taken them away from but there are people that don't and especially especially we're talking about much older people that could have have given life at 16 (laughs) goodness gracious so but to segue a little bit, um, Joe Dole, who's inside Stateville Prison, he's one of our board members, I think, in former or current co-director of Parole Illinois. Um, him and several of other, our other board members have been saying, like, we really appreciate all of this work that's being done on the outside around COVID. We appreciate it, but, you know, Joe has a violent crime on his record. And so he's not going to get released. And he knows that, like, whatever COVID is very likely not going to release people with violent crimes. And so he's like, keep working on Senate Bill 3233, because that's give us a chance. And what is that? What is yeah. Senate? What is that Senate bill? So that's the earned discretionary release bill. Um, and basically what it does is say someone was given... 50 years at 100%, 50 years at 80%, whatever. I mean, right now we don't have, we have a juvenile parole system um, where it's like if you were convicted now of a juvenile, then you can't get parole um, or then you can't get, you can get parole. Or if you were convicted before 1978, you can see a parole board, but in between there, you can't. And so you have to serve all those 15 years or that 80%. This bill that we're fighting for is say, is asking or would allow someone to go in front of a parole board after serving 20 years, after serving 25% of their sentence, or say like whatever your sentence was, like 5 to 20, you could get after serving the low end of that, the 5 you can go in front of a parole board. So it's like whatever is lesser um, for that particular person. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And, and you're, you're doing this work with Parole Illinois, which is a separate, another organization that you uh, work with and are an activist in and an organizer in. Is that right? So um, it is interesting. So, yes, I 
work full time for Chicago Votes as a community organizer. And our one of our programs is Unlock Civics, where we work in the intersection of voting rights and the criminal legal system. Um, and so doing that work, I inherently am pulled to do more and more work around the criminal legal system because, you know, it's so intersectional in so many different ways and you can't just like fix voting rights without working towards other things. Um, and so I started doing work at Stateville during uh, college at DePaul. And so that's where I, how I got in, you know, involved in that work. Um, and so it just continued with these guys. I've known them for years inside of Stateville. Yeah. And and t- and tell us what what uh, what is Chicago Votes and, and what what is your role in the org and what do you do on a on a full time basis? So Chicago Votes is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization that specifically works with young people for young people by young people to be in halls of power, make sure our voices is heard and not just heard but included. Um, in lawmaking, law enforcement, law implementation, voting. You know, anytime a big decision is being made that's going to impact young people, inevitably in the future, we should be a part of it (laughs) to give our two cents. Um, And so that's how I got into, you know, also pushing... um, Oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, so, so I mean, so some of what Chicago Votes does is um, register and encourage people to vote. Yes. Um, there's there's a lot of conversation, particularly now, you know, in the Democratic primary. Um, you know, I think Bernie has felt that he was trying to mobilize a ton of young people. And then depending on which, you know, polling uh, numbers you look at, it looks like either that has happened in some instances or it's not. What, what's your take on, on what's happening now with a lot of the rhetoric around young people and the voting process uh, during during this moment in American electoral politics? Um, you know, so I think that something specific that Chicago Votes does with voting is we don't just tell young people to go vote. Um, we examine and try to break down the barriers for young people to go vote you know i i am such a political nerd geek and i love this shit so much and i got a one on my ap government test (laughs) and i wasn't registered to vote when i was 18 it took me until you know i got to college And I missed the mayoral election in 2014 or 2015, 2015. And I was like, shit, I got to register to vote. And so I think like if someone like me wasn't quickly plugged in to those elections, then it's not the young person that's the problem. It's Mm -hmm. the system and the institution. And so like with our programs, our Unlock Civics program hits at what if you're a young person and you get arrested and you're in jail <laughs> while, or prison while there's an election? It's not your fault. It's, you know, <laughs> you're in jail and they don't have a system to vote for you. Or another thing that we hit at is that young people don't vote because um, 
it's not it's not taught to us institutionally in school that this is something that we really need to do. In school, we're taught that you need to mind your own business and you need to get an A to get a good job, to go or to go to a good school, to get a good job, to make money, have kids. Like that's what we're institutionally taught. Yeah, not that you're a political actor, certainly. Yeah, you're not you know, we're not taught democracy. I'm like which is mind-blowing. We're taught capitalism very well. Very well. Thoroughly. (laughs) But it's crazy that, and it blows my mind every single day. And that's why I do this work is because you would think like you would teach the democratic society democracy and how it works. Well, so, (laughs) So, so how do you come to this work? I mean, before you, you know, got, um, activated in this, first of all, just where, where do you come from? Um, so, yeah, I don't know, you know, it's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, listen, I, that's why I... people ask me, like, where are you from? I usually say that I was born in Connecticut and then moved to Michigan and then moved to Chicago for college. But my parents immigrated here from Egypt at different times. And so, but they um, so they they met in the states, your folks. Yeah, they met in the states through family um, connecting them. My dad is an atheist, raised in a Coptic Orthodox family in society, um, and my mom is Methodist Coptic, but chill, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. more liberal. Um, so the family, so people in the family, are like, oh, y'all should meet. Yeah, well, my dad's mom, or I'm sorry, my dad's sister was trying to save him because she was like, oh my God, you're an atheist. The devil has got to you. <laughs> I see. Um, and so she was like, you need to be saved. And then my mom was a Sunday school teacher. And so wow. she tried to up and on their first date. My wow. dad was like, um, don't try to change me. <laughs> don't try to like save me I'm not going to be saved and mom was like I don't really care <laughs> do you whatever I'm not going to which was really funny but yeah they definitely my dad is extremely like you know he turned around one day and he was like I'm a communist and I'm like what? I was not in school that that's like fascism what <laughs> um, so did you grow so- up with politics in the house Are those kind of politics in the house you know, I think I grew up with very, um, you know, I don't rem- we didn't like, like my, I would go vote. Like I remember going to vote with my mom and dad, you know, um, that also might've just been because I think the daycare was in the community center where the voting was. So that might've been the only reason, right. but I remember that I think for some reason, I think I was raised more with like just. Because they raised me Unitarian Universalist, um, which is just like there's seven principles. Um, yeah, and those, the, it's like humanism in part, right? Like the, like the Unitarians, yeah. yeah. It's like humanism and like the, but it's also like the inner connection of all life on Earth. Yeah, um, and they're open to multiple religions, if I memory serves. The Unitarians, is that right? It's, you can, yeah, it's really believe whatever you want as long as you abide by these seven principles. And that basically is like love each other, you know, democracy, 
shit like that. And so, yeah, I definitely, I went to this, like, national youth justice training um, in Boston. And it was like... In high school? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I went to a white plate suburb in Michigan. I lived there. And so... Uh, they taught me that racism wasn't real anymore. It was, like, <laughs> it was, it was done. We, we did it. We did it. So, and then I went to this training and they were like, no, there's, there's not just racism. There's different types of racism. There's inter institutional, ideological, interpersonal. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, that really did, did you, me all this. did you experience, um, you know, coming up as a kid, even moving around, a kind of ethno-nationalism, a, um, you know, did you experience things being first generation that some of your peers didn't necessarily have to experience? Uh, how was that coming up for you as a, as a young person? You know, that's really interesting because um, I was raised, you know, I'm Egyptian. And when you take all, when you're young, K through 12, you take like, hella standardized tests um, and you have to check your race so many times there's not a Middle Eastern option so I'm white um, and so I was just raised white and then also my parents coming from Egypt you know white is better fair skin that's better so they're like yeah you're smarter if you're white yeah. <laughs> the immigrant mentality white and supremacy then, rules the world so this is yeah yeah <laughs> so you know, and then I um, went to that national justice training and they separated me into the people of color. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is wild. Um, and then when I, that, I was like, I got to leave Michigan. I went to Chicago and I'm like, wow, there's so many people of color here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that was uh, really great what? being able to just. You know? Yeah, that's that's incredible, and I'm sure a, a culture and psychological shock to have that happen in in I mean at any point of your life, but particularly at that point of your maturation process in high school is is pretty yeah. pretty uh, incredible. It, you came to Chicago to go to school where? Oh, okay. And and at yeah. what point you you said you had kind of the political awakening around a mayoral election? Um, what, I mean, what, yeah, kind of give us a sense of what was happening at that time. Well, I just, um, you know, I didn't even think about having to register to vote. When I got to college, I was very interested in social justice topics. And I knew voting was a thing. And at that time, I was way more, you know, my mindset had been trained to that I'm in college now, I have to do my classes, get good grades, focus on my schoolwork, midterms, finals. That's those are the important deadlines, not and not the election. So like there was no one I just had a friend that was working on the Chewy campaign and so he would talk about it a lot. Or he would talk about it, but like that was it. That's literally the only probably information or thing I came close to with the mayoral election. Like no one was in the school being like, do you want to change your registration to Chicago? Do you know there's an election coming up? <laughs> you know? And so I, the election passed 
Um, and I was like, shit, I should have voted. I should have, <laughs> you know, like with my not Chicago votes hat on and my own hat on, I was like, you know, Rom won shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so so that that was a turning point for you. Uh, how did you begin to then get active? Um. So then I was really just trying to look for volunteer opportunities <laughs> to like to do about college. Just like got plugged in when wherever I could. Um, I was looking specifically for opportunities to work inside of prisons and so DePaul has the inside out program um that you're familiar with so I did that my sophomore year in Stateville prison why is why is that population uh important to you you know I was I think it was my well I mean I it's different now than then like then I think it was just a population that was so far removed from me um, that I was very interested in, like, like what's going on in there. <laughs> like, I want to see what is what's in the, what's on the inside because it's so far removed. Now, it's because I mean, there's just so many for so many reasons. But first, because there's so many amazing human beings that I know in there and love in there. And it just it tears me apart every day that they're in a cell right now with all this shit going on. It's so fucked up. And it's like people are, you know, that and young people, which is, I think, even more messed up that are in cages. But and plus that is literally written into our U.S. Constitution and our 13th Amendment that those can be slaves. <laughs> so, I would like that to end. Yeah. I think <laughs> that probably needs to end. Yeah. But yeah, that's how I got involved with the prison work. With voting work, um, I started interning for a congressional campaign in Highland Park. And I was reading Bernie's book, um, like, Outsider in the White House. And he was like, no one's like young people and people who are in poverty vote the least because there's the most barriers for them and they're not set up for success in voting and civic engagement and so i was like shit i gotta do something about that (laughs) so i um just worked with some of our depaul democrats depaul republicans student government and we just set up voter registration tables at school Started registering young people to vote. Wow, that's great. So now, you of, you're, of course, you're working on many campaigns. And one of the things that I know you're working on is around cannabis and the new cannabis laws that have, uh, yes. you know, seem to be all over the place in, in this. Well, in this. great right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us about, about what, you're, what you're working on in, in terms of the cannabis um, conversation. Yeah, so... You know, again, with Chicago Votes, um, we plug into and support campaigns that young people care about, and cannabis legalization is one that young people care about and have been impacted by severely with so many young people of color just being picked up and arrested 
um, beaten up, killed for the smell of weed. Yeah. Um, and there's there's definitely, you know, a big push to be, have young people involved in that. And so I used to work for State Representative Sonia Harper's office as well on the south side of Chicago, and she would hold town hall meetings during legalization for people where people could come out and ask questions like, what's the application process going to look like? What's in it for black and brown people that have been criminalized for so long for these issues? And it was like hundreds of people. And she was like, well, like y'all are the people y'all need to go down to Springfield and lobby legislators. Cause she's like, I can't do this alone. (laughs) Um, And so I think organizing is in my blood and so since then we like i we started a coordinators list and people in those meetings put their name down if they wanted to be a part of that coordinating group and we started meeting weekly to plan a lobby day in springfield to fight for cannabis equity um and since then which was probably last we could just say the start date was 420 um since then, we've been meeting weekly since then. Every single week, we've met. Um, and the group grows and changes and adapts. Um, and there's still some people, like some OG people, but it's a family. And it's it's such beautiful community organizing because people find us because usually they're a social equity applicant themselves and they they hate the system. They're like, this isn't set up setting me up for success (laughs) and they're frustrated and they come to, they find our group and they're like, I'm frustrated. And we're like, we are too. (laughs) Join us. (laughs) And and how has the work changed since the legalization? Um, you know, we're still doing the work. I think a lot of our bulk work, um, we did before COVID-19 killed everything. And so, Two of our big campaigns that we've decided on is Know Your Rights, just making sure young people and people in general know what their rights are with weed. Um, And then the second is the Cannabis Community Benefits Agreements because all of the... um, Yes, speak on that, yeah, because I I don't know if people are aware of what this is. Um, Yeah, so, right, we got medical cannabis like five years ago, and... All of the people that got licenses for medical cannabis were largely white men, couple white women maybe, um, that probably have never, never had to worry about having their life taken away or a family member taken away for weed and being incarcerated. Um, and so no people of color got those licenses. And so five years later, all of those companies have had years to develop their businesses and create wealth and profit. Um, and experience. And so now with adult use, they had their hands and lobbyist money, you know, with legislators to craft an adult use bill that benefited them, such as giving, letting them open January 1st, which was very quickly, <laughs> January 1st, 2020, and just made racked in millions of dollars. Um, and then also get a plus one dispensary license without having to apply for it. Just here's another dispensary license. And so we're like, 
okay, that seems a little inequitable. Can you do something for the community? Can you put it in writing <laughs> that you're going to do it? Um, like hiring 75% of the people um, in that dispensary to be disproportionately from disproportionately impacted areas, mm. uh, paying them a living wage. And then real quick, so and when we say from a disproportionately impacted area, it's in the law. And we're finding that a lot of these dispensaries don't quite know what that means. They think it means like someone who is slow. Like they think it means like someone who has been in prison for so many years and will never learn how to use a computer. I'm like, that's some of the things that we're hearing and we're working with. And we're like, this is why you need to hire. There are a lot of lawyers <laughs> that live in impacted areas. Um, but it's things like we want them to, you know, uh, contribute to National Expungement Week to expunge people's records. Do know your rights. Um, and so we had Nature's Care Company signed on with us, officially signed a community benefits agreement with us, which wow, was that's great. which is probably the first time it's been done in the nation. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone else has put pressure on the industry like this, like, but in from the community. Um, and so, you know, we were able to have a whole press conference at the zoning board of appeals meeting that was in, I think, March, early March. Um, maybe it was February. I don't know. Um, and which was amazing. Um, and now, None of these other dispensaries, everything's on hold because all these dispensaries, to get their plus one dispensary license, they have to have a community meeting. Obviously, they can't have their community meetings now. And Zoning Board of Appeals isn't having any meetings. So everything there is like stalled. And so what we're doing now is just continuing to be in negotiation with other companies um, to be like, do you want to sign this? This is the time. We will support you. Um we will work with you to implement this community benefits agreement. I mean, the only thing that COVID-19 has really made us change is that we're starting virtual coalition meetings. And so Thursdays, six to seven, you can hop on Zoom and be on the coalition meeting with us so we can continue to do the work. So what are the other ways that people could get involved with, with what you're doing in any of these spaces? If it's around... Um, you know, prison reform, some of the, you know, amnesty work, if it's around, you know, the cannabis issue, if it's Chicago votes, what are the various ways that people could, could, you know, be in tune with, with uh, what you're doing? I think honestly, the best way is to follow us on all the social medias. Um, I personally partially run the cannabis equity instagram so for the cannabis work if that's the work you're trying to follow it's at canna equity i l c-a-n-n-a equity i l and that's facebook twitter instagram if you're trying to follow chicago votes work it's just at chicago votes and then parole illinois is at parole i l um can also go all three have websites so you can also go on all three websites um i think parole illinois and chicago votes you can sign up on the website um to either volunteer or be on the newsletter with the cannabis literally the only way to plug in is follow us on social media and show up to the meetings it's a very like show up or 
Show up when you can. <laughs> and now you can do that virtually. And now you can do that virtually. Right. We'll see all the people try to get it. You know, with the 60-person call, we had a lot of family members that are older. So I was really worried about that. But people managed. Good. Um, well, Alex, thank you for keeping us informed. And, and certainly thank you for, for doing the work that you're doing. Because I think the, the life of an organizer, of an activist, is one that is continually selfless. Uh, you're putting on and putting in work for so many others. And so... Thank you for doing that work, for organizing, and, and for letting us know, uh, you know, how we could be involved, too, and, and, and what's going on. Yeah, definitely. Happy to talk about it forever. Well, appreciate you. Thanks for being in the corner store. Uh, stay safe and uh, stay, you know, washing your hands. And, uh, yeah, just uh, and, and keep at it. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, to being in tune with, with what you're doing and following along and, and being involved. And um, thanks for dropping the socials. We'll put them out, uh, you know, when, when this ep drops too. Um, but thanks, thanks for being in the corner store today. Yep, thank you. <laughs> Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.